Hey, you, over there, listening to Ego. I don't know why every time I do an ad for Second City, makes me want to talk with that weird, like, kind of Italian, kind of old school Chicago slash New York accent. But if you want to learn how to actually do accents and all kinds of other funny things, you should stop by Second City. You can find your funny this week with a $20 improv drop-in class at their training center in Chicago. Your first drop-in is on us. Use the code TESTDRIVE for a free improv drop-in any Sunday at 7 p.m. For more info, go to secondcity.com backslash TC or 312-664-3959 to register. Young Hypotenuse here in the building. <laughs> what up, y'all? What up? Bah! This is Ergo. I'm Kiss. I'm Damon. And you're listening to us here on WHBK, ErgoRadio.com. Shout out Post Loudness. Shout out Wizard Radio. Shout out the family. Yeah, yeah. Love, and, love, love to y'all. And as always, shout out to moms. Shout out to moms. And shout out to you, mm. wherever it's you are. Double shout out if you are moms. <laughs> you get two for the price yeah. of one. <laughs> What we do here is we showcase, celebrate, and reimagine Chicago and beyond. Conversations with artists, organizers, uh, poets, rappers, thinkers, change makers, reshaping the culture of our city for the more equitable and the more creative. We have a very special guest here, just on time. Uh, But first, let him catch his breath, some community announcements. What do you got? Um, This Saturday at UIC... Um, the opening of Florissant and Canfield, written by Christiana Cologne. Uh, it's a it's a reimagining of our experience and kind of how the Love's Brief Collective was started down in Ferguson. Uh, can we talk about what's happening today? Yeah, what's yeah yeah later today? Yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I'll say that for you. Florissant and Canfield this Saturday, UIC rock with that. So to keep it in like the event plugging first, mm-hmm. and then we'll we'll get into the exciting news mm-hmm. that we have. Um, first off, in addition to that, a uh, bunch of folks who just kind of ergo fam uh, do this artist lounge series, uh, and they're doing one actually at Champ Sports out uh, in the South Loop, so one twelve, just in the Loop, one twelve South State Street. Whole bunch of cool people involved. That's uh, Saturday at three. Um, the Chicago Community Bomb Fund is having a fundraiser at AMFM on Saturday night at eight p.m. Uh, and then on Tuesday, April 17th at 5.30 at Roberto Clemente on Western and Division is Poets for Puerto Rico. It's a poetry reading. It's going to be a long-ass poetry reading, but in a good way, I think. Um, and the proceeds are going to some really great on-the-ground work happening in Puerto Rico that's been put together by um, Jose Olivares and a whole bunch of other really cool poets from the city. At some point, poets are going to start running up on you. You've been starting a lot of poetry beef up here. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to see about it at some point. It's just all a projection. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put it out. Uh, we like to do the week of, but also next Friday, uh, Breathing Room series at the Breathing Room space. Heal the body, free the earth on 420. A holistic conversation about our relationship to the land, to our resources, to herbs, there you go. to the body, to capitalism. You said the body twice. I, I said the body. The ty- body's in the title. Ah, okay. Well, the body extra. Yeah, yeah. extra of the body. A couple. Body, us, the body, the earth, you know. The body politic. Poetry. It's a long one. <laughs> we got a, a couple more. Uh, Shaitin Lit Fest put on by the library and Umedia is this Friday and Saturday. Um, if you have high school students or younger who like books, like words, this is a great place to be. It's at Columbia College 
I will be there volunteer coordinating and you can actually sign up to volunteer. We still need people. Uh, that link we will uh, make sure to tweet and share. And then this is jumping forward a little bit. Also at UIC next Friday is uh, there's a day long kind of convening about Puerto Rico and about some of the work that's been happening since the hurricane. Um, a bunch of people are flying in for it, including Rosa Clemente, who's just like a media maker and organizer who I admire a lot. Well, yeah, Christiana is going to be a part of this. The mayor from, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from, uh, from San Juan is going to be there. So that's free and I'm just planning on going. So I recommend that you register also. And then let's talk about what we're doing today. Our fun little, uh, so for, for, for those of you who know us, you know, that we, we pretty much stay audio only. Like you'll get a little clip on the Instagram story, but we're more comfortable with our, our voices, but we're getting in front of the camera today, uh, for signal flow. It's a new web series featuring live in-studio performances and interviews put together by the folks at Mob Rep. That's at Mob Rep on Instagram and uh, Gravity Studios in Wicker Park. So the video is not going to drop till next month, but we're going to be doing this series of live in-studio interviews with an audience and stuff like that. We were trying to coordinate wardrobes before, and uh, we still have some work we to do. We to figure out what level of casual we're going with. So keep an eye out for announcements and stuff around that. For sure. So now... To our guest today, we have a big community, so there was a lot to announce. Uh, but we're really, really excited to have our guest here. Uh, we're, we're, we're checking off a couple of firsts. Uh, our, our, the the goal was to get some discussion around education, and we have not actually had anybody with any connection. Well, that's not true, but that's been like in leadership at CTU. Uh, but also our first elected official here at Ergo Radio. Make some noise for the homie Brandon Johnson's in the building. Bro, 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 What's going on, What's man? up, man? Before we get to like how we start the show, I just want to let you know that like everything is your fault now. Mm -hmm. and, and and we're coming for you and we can no longer be friends i just want you to accept uh, that i'm and preparing that. for that yeah <laughs> i hope i was gonna be able to at least get through november <laughs> nope but you're not waiting nope anymore. already no, no. but this but, isn't an interview it's a debate <laughs> <laughs> you're on the hot seat my friend you're responsible but um but all jokes aside we have a way that we'd like to start our show with a two-part question um, and so in this time, you can define that however you want. So that could be today, this week, this month, or the season. Uh, how is the world treating you and how are you treating the world? Yeah. Wow. Those are uh, great questions. Um, usually the world treats me much better once I put all my children to bed. <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, you know, you get a certain age when you look forward to naps and bed. Uh, that's when you know you've officially arrived as an adult. Your naps or their naps? Yeah, both. Just yeah, naps yeah. happening. <laughs> At least I don't take random naps on my own because then I'll be my dad and I'm not ready to you know, mm. become that just yet. Mm. Um, I mean, honestly, the world, um, you know, as I define it, um, continues to treat me uh, well. Um, to be perfectly frank, um, my world, it's my wife, my children. Um, they, they don't know my imperfections. Mm. So, you know, despite the fact that I've moved into this political space, uh, my approval rating is still pretty high, <laughs> especially since they're 10, five and three. Uh, now the 10 year old, I know only have a couple more years, yeah. but, uh, 
But in terms of how I'm treating the world, the ten year old's building a super pack right now. <laughs> <laughs> Not right. ready to launch yet. <laughs> exactly. Well, he's got all the oppositional research on me. So if anyone could beat me right now, it would be him. Uh, but he's smart enough to run my five year old against me, though. I mean, you know, so behind the scenes, he knows exactly. how to maneuver. He's got a real like Carl Rove. <laughs> exactly right. Right in my own living room. It's being organized against me. Um, but I mean, in how, how I'm treating the world, um, you know, I, I guess probably the, the, my honest answer would be I'm hoping that I'm, I'm also reflecting how my family feels about me and that the world, my immediate world, is that I'm treating my world with the unconditional love that I believe is required in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, no judgment, just it's just as is. And so, uh, and I'm trying to reflect that. So a, a, a part of like what we like to do here is to like think of this kind of as like a time capsule piece or like historical archiving. So like to listen back to this moment yeah. from years now uh, down the line. And this is like a really, really exciting time for you outward facing. But before we get into like where you are right now, I kind of want to s- stick on what you just said on a more human level because it relates like how I'm becoming an adult in my relationship to my family, the the idea of they don't know your imperfections. That was really beautiful, but that also rings like kind of scary, right? Mm-hmm. Because you are a human being with your yeah. limitations. Yeah. Um, and, and just how do you feel that as a, as a father? Cause that's something I'm struggling with. Like my dad can still do no wrong, even though I know he's limited mm-hmm. and I'm just now learning how my mother does wrong. And like addressing that is really difficult. It sounds still, like my 10 year old, they really like their mom. <laughs> 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 it's like so are you telling me that even once they move past adolescence that that's still gonna ring true uh, yeah. wow well that this is starting to become depressing now yeah shout out to mom, shout out to mom. <laughs> exactly right <laughs> we've done like four shout out to dads we'd say shout out to mom every episode <laughs> and we both like our dad yeah we're very close <laughs> so I, you know I, I, yeah, yeah and i think i think um like me there's a, a there's something about the bond i have with my father that is like I am him and he's like my best friend. He's my hero. Mm. But I'm realizing now that like on a functional level, me and my mother have a more human relationship because it's more difficult, right? Like I I, I address things with her more head on. We like struggle more. Mm. And for a while that's been like really difficult, but I'm, I'm seeing the value in that. So as a, as a parent on the other side, as they're like coming into their humanity and like fully getting their ideas and understandings of that, how, how do you see yourself? Cause you got a little bit of time before you really get into like the fire of that. No, that's right. You know, it's interesting as I get older, my dad gets smarter. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) You see, I'm still struggling with it. Shout out to Bob. You know, right, right. You know, and so, you know, when I say that my children do not know my imperfections, you know, maybe it's maybe being extra profound. It's not like they're not aware that I, that I do not have vulnerabilities. It's that, um, that knowledge does not like give them permission to see me any differently than how you see your father, you mm-hmm. know, or your mother. It's, it's, they still can do no wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's, that's why when you ask like, how am I treating the world? I try to reflect unconditional mm-hmm. because my children are that way. Now I have a three-year-old daughter. So my 10 and five-year-old, they're boys. So there's a part of like our space that could be a little intimidating for them. I, I recognize that as much as I believe that I'm not my dad, um, sometimes my children will 
respond a certain way. And I'm thinking, am I really that scary? You know, <laughs> but for them, you know, six foot, 240 pounds on a good day. Yeah, you're like, you're, it's like watching like Greek gods. <laughs> you know, exactly. And that's, and I, it's hard for me to, you know, to like appreciate that because, you know, I do feel like this gentleness. Now, my daughter, on the other hand, who is not intimidated by me at all, um, like she is, you know, is coming to like she is she is prepared and willing to challenge me now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, your question is is actually very helpful, you know, as I didn't realize I was getting therapy today. But thank, <laughs> go right but, but thank you. Um, you know, there's a we lot were, of we firsts, wear many hats. you know, going on here, <laughs> you know, but, you know, for, for them, the, the knowledge of those imperfections um, does not give them like a rationale for responding to me, you know, any differently. Right. And so that's, that's something that I am learning to be more vulnerable Mm -hmm. uh, to my children and not to get too far ahead of all you all's questions, you know, but, but, but this, this moment that I'm in right now, like taking this leap and, you know, taking the movement and trying to connect it electorally, you know, the conversations that I had to have with my children about, um, you know, competition and mm. be willing to like place the demands and your convictions on the line mm-hmm. with the goal of winning. Mm. Um, also expressing to my children, you know, daddy does get nervous. Um, sometimes the moment does seem to be too big, mm. you know, and I think it's like those me expressing those vulnerabilities allow them to see like the humanness. However, it's interesting. I was t- talking with my father during this new venture that I, that I, that I'm embarking upon and like how you describe it's It's not so much that I didn't recognize that my father did not have imperfections. It's just like his ability to just plow through, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. muscle through mm-hmm. Um, as far as I was concerned, my father never flinched, mm. you know, it's like, you know, you know, and I, and I had older brothers as well. So I, I tried to like come across to my children the way my father came across to me, even though they see him differently because my father as a grandfather, yeah. like he, he smiles so and stuff, you know what I mean? He gives out hugs <laughs> and compliments. Nothing is ever that dramatic and serious, you know? Um, but no, I, I, I tried to become more vulnerable so that they can at least see that even some of this Marvel character or this mm-hmm. God, if you will, that they see small G um, has some emotion. Mm-hmm. And that emotion is not just daddy's disappointed in you. Mm-hmm. I need you to listen to me. But dad has his own, I don't know. Internal life. Yeah, yeah. right. Where that, where I struggle, you know, with yeah. that. So it's interesting. So this is a, that was a very like profound and thoughtful thing that I'm going to connect to like a pop culture thing that's less profound, but <laughs> as we I, do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the show. I, for the first time in my life, watched The Godfather recently, which is getting a lot of flack for this. Right? People <laughs> are amazed that I've never seen it. But, uh, this, the, in the second one, there's this whole thing about like, Michael trying to hold it together for everyone, hold it together for the family the same way his dad did, right? And like his perception of his father is that his father never flinched the same way you're describing. And so what it means to do good is to try to like replicate that model, even when all of the information in front of you is saying, one, that didn't lead to good things. And two, it's like not working for this moment, but you have very few like 
examples. Like I think about this, even whether it's on radio or organize, it's like how many examples of a leader do you have to work off is like a coach. There's like a drill sergeant. Like you, you just kind of like trying on these roles. And then eventually you figure out like, what is the model of like leadership or, or, you know, fatherhood or whatever that actually fits and can continue to grow. So for you, let's, let's kind of go into the external life. Yeah. Um, how are you thinking about leadership these days? What does that mean? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it, it, you know, that, that moves around, you know, for me a little bit in terms of leadership, because I, I've, I've seen so many different forms, some, so many different styles of leadership. And, you know, for me, I think, you know, externally, the first thing that comes to mind is, like, what is it? I know this is going to sound real cheesy. And as my 10 year old starts to Google me and as he gets this, you know, footage, uh, you know, or this, this audio, you know, he's, he's going to say, you know, dad, you really didn't reflect that in real life. But I really do try to, um, you know, think about like, what it, what is it that I actually believe in? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, what, what, what is it that provokes me in a way where other folks, will say to you, dude, chill. You know what I mean? Like, like, what is that thing that your friends have to talk you down? Hmm. You know, even when they understand, right. you know, like why you feel the way you feel. Yeah. And like leadership, uh, to me, leadership is, it's provoked, right? And whether it's coming internally, whether yeah, it's coming from mean, other yeah. forces, like hmm. for, for me, I, I define leadership and like, particularly in this moment, what is it? What gets you mad, but what also gets you excited? Yeah. And sometimes it's one of the same things. I mean, I know my wife feels that way about me after 20 years. I can walk in a room and she could be flooded with all type of emotions, right. you know, mad, happy to see me, but bothered at the same time. Right. <laughs> right. And, you know, I feel like when it comes to leadership, I believe that people are most effective in roles of leadership when they can be provoked. And what I, what I mean by that is like, like you can care about stuff, but sometimes even in the midst of you caring about stuff, like for me, it was education. Right. What experiences am I willing to allow to take place that not only fortify like my belief and ideas, but challenge me. Yeah. Right. To, to, to do it better, to think about it in a different way. Um, to, to even be emotional about it. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, leadership is, it's, it's, it's finding the things that you care about, what provokes you, what makes you angry, what makes you excited, what is it about those, that thing or whatever it is that will give you permission to be wrong and to figure out how to get it right. Mm-hmm. But when even when you get it wrong, if it's something that you care that deeply about, you're not going to like run away. From, like you're like, this is something that means something to me. So That's I'll keep right. working through. That's right. Yeah. I mean, if I if I reduce what, what what I'm hearing, it's like whatever sparks that internal drive towards action. Right. Yeah. Like r- really is is where leadership is cultivated. So let's let's contextualize that in like real world yeah. where you are right now. Yeah. Because I'm all real philosophical. <laughs> it's about this <laughs> room and maybe it's like, like where you all are dressed. Like you get real comfortable and all of a sudden I feel That's like I'm in do. a course. You're at the university <laughs> campus, you know. Yeah. yeah. We know we know you're in the, the, the media cycle. Look, so it's, so it's we a, break those. It's walls. a long hour. Right? <laughs> we got a lot of different stages. <laughs> right. That, that was the get deep segment. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> but, then we had the Godfather segment. Yeah. We had to break you out your, uh, out your talking points, you know. Yeah, thank you. Get you, get 
get you comfortable. I know how monotonous it is. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, you know, let's go there a little bit because definitely before we get out of here, I I really want to center uh, your your role, your position and your perspective as an educator and an organizer. And that's a really important story that we've not uh, captivated enough here or captured enough here. Uh, But right now that trajectory or that experience propelled you to run for a Cook County Commission board position, Um, which one, like, I think people need to know what that is to trying to like read up on it. Like, as I was hitting you up, it was like a contested rate or there was like some some funky monkey that happened there. Um, And so talk about (laughs) talk about that decision to 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 run uh, what the position is and where we are now, because like we're in that weird place of like where the primary is basically the election. Right, right. So, you got to love Chicago, yeah. Cook County, when there's two elections, but only one matters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, I called you an elected official. Yeah, technically right, not, yeah, right. But, yeah. you know. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think, first of all, I appreciate you all, like, taking the time out, particularly around the issue of education. And I will just say public accommodations in general, like why it's important to have that conversation and how that ties into the decision that I made to actually run uh, for public office, you know, but, you know, being an educator in Chicago, it's first of all, it's the best job that I've ever had. Um, it, it, it will probably be the, the best job that I will ever have. And, you know, I talk of all the fancy things you get, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Look, the, the, it's the perks. It's, it's, <laughs> There's only a few professions where you actually get paid to repeat yourself over and over. And And so you went from politics. You went from one to the other. It's it's funny because when I I taught middle school, and so that's exactly what my wife said to me. She said, so let me get this straight. You're going from middle school teacher to politician. You really don't mind repeating yourself. So so that's right. But look, teaching seventh and eighth graders, it's a very unique time in a child's development. You know, seventh grade, first of all, I feel like I should have gotten an applause there when I said I taught, taught middle school. Oh. <laughs> you know, like, I was mostly just stunned you're still standing. Yeah. That was, I, was thinking I, that. I started teaching middle school two hours a week yeah. recently, and it's 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 a lot. So it <laughs> you got the great papers. In that for those at home, Damon's hair is completely great. <laughs> right. Well, see, you see how uh-huh. I'm looking now, man. Like the, the amount of gray that has appeared out of nowhere as a result of that position. But, you know, for, for, for seventh and eighth graders, you're in this real interesting space, mm-hmm. like where you're young enough to still be idealistic mm-hmm. about like everything that you want to be yeah but you're also starting to like put that into some context and some mm-hmm. realities quote unquote are beginning to set in yeah. so by middle school it's not like you've given up on your dreams yeah. but you're also starting to appreciate like okay who i am as a person and what that means for my future the coupled chal- with sorry to cut you off but there's the other piece which is the like uh, like slow cooker of hormones that are. Just oh, absolutely! <laughs> you okay? No, you can say slow all you want. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, 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 I a pressure cooker. <laughs> so there. there you go. It's more like a pressure cooker, right? Right. You know, so you have all these emotions that are like running rap. You know, just running wild. And teaching in Chicago, though, um, it's it, teaching middle school in Chicago was unique in that that normal sort of adolescent experience has been compromised because of the quote realities unquote that many of these students have experienced where dreams oftentimes are sucked out of their core a lot sooner. Mm -hmm. And it's not because 
they are now, you know, 17, 18. They have to start taking themselves more seriously. But these dreams are sucked away because no one believes anything is possible. Mm. Um, and when I say no one, I know that's a broad brush, but it's, it's, it's thinking beyond whatever their experience yeah. is at the time. And, you know, one of the most challenging times I've ever had as a middle school teacher, we had a real tough day. I'll just cut to it. And I had this spot in my classroom where whenever my students saw me go to this spot, you might want to try this, that they knew Mr. Johnson had enough. You all, <laughs> like, let's just regroup. Because, you know, you, know you, you can only yell so much. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about like a physical spot in the room? Yeah, right, right, right. Where I would actually sit, I would go to, you know, so like I would put myself <laughs> on time out. I'm taking a time out. And so now you be quiet because I need a time out. That's a, and, that's a and, great tactic. Well, because it's not punitive. Also. No, it's like, and you can't, I mean, you really have to like think, a lot about punishing someone who's 12 and 13 right. just because of the way they're like, and I won't get too far off into just that adolescent theory, but so I took this we, little, I mean, we got room for that. Okay. So we, so we took this spot, you know, where it's like, you know, these are students who, you know, young people who are just, like you said, they're in this pressure cooker. They're living in circumstances that are far more extreme than, you know, any of, any of us can imagine unless we actually live through it ourselves. And like, how can you punish someone who's living in poverty, who has seen violence and unemployment? You know what I mean? Like, what is the appropriate punishment for someone who has already lost the moment that they were brought into the world? And what's the end goal of that punishment, right? Because you can find... People find appropriate punishments sure. all the time, but That's how does that point. help or benefit or what are you trying to get out of that process of being punitive? Other than just getting through the school day. Exactly. No, that's exactly right. I'm glad you actually clarified that because the punishments that tend to come down are so punitive that all it does is reinforce you know, the dynamics that, you know, are, you know, from structural racism, um, again, white supremacy and like this ideal of what authority means and how it's executed on black folks and poor children as well. You know, so I had this moment. They were just, we were missing each other. I'll just say it like that. <laughs> we were missing each other. So I went to my spot. The room got quiet, you know, and I think they started to just to respond to this because at some point like they would feel sorry for me. Like this guy, like, you he's know, guy, he's, kind, he's coming to work every day. You know, he's got a little kid, you know, you played the pity card. Well, you know, it's, it's really pathetic. I don't know if that's going to work in my new role as a county commissioner. Like I just take a timeout when no one's listening to me and maybe we'll pass meaningful legislation. Um, you know, what? I'm going to give that a shot. Exactly. So, 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 the room gets quiet and finally I'll never forget this. You know, you know, I, I give my little I give my little mini lecture and, and I just express that there's some disappointment because what what I was worried about was, as I said earlier, that the thing in which we are trying to combat, like this despair, dreams being sucked out of them, that they were succumbing to that that yeah. order of things yeah. that, that has been the order of things in that neighborhood for a long time. And so after I finished my little mini lecture about being disappointed, you all are succumbing to these ideas about you that that we have to break away from. One of my students raised her hand and she said, Mr. Johnson, the problem is 
first of all, I'm already fuming because like, so you gonna tell me what the problem is? <laughs> you know, yeah. like you know, like the 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 Andrew Johnson and me, my dad's a really little girl. You gonna tell me what the problem is? And so, yeah, but I'm the really glad you were not referring to the 50th president <laughs> of the United States. <laughs> right, right, right. No, no, thank you. Apologize for right, 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 right. You know, the altar of reform. For you see social studies nerds out there who, who okay. can get that reference. Wow. Uh, <laughs> but uh, she said the problem is, Mr. Johnson, you should not be teaching here. Mm. And then she says, you should be teaching at a good school. Mm. <laughs> and it was in that moment where it was my first year teaching mm. where I begin to look at my role as an educator differently. Right. And of course I sat in my room for three hours. I mean, it just crushed me. Yeah. Um, now, if I were an egotistical person to say something, like exactly. Right. Now, if, if I had an ego, I would say, well, at least they know that I'm all yeah. that. Right? They, they clearly know. Yeah. Take that CPS. Yeah. You know, I am a highly qualified brother teaching. But the fact that they recognize value mm -hmm. in what was good, but did not believe that, that they, they deserved right. it. Like that, yeah. that, that, that shifted my, my thinking. And this is what I said earlier when we talk about leadership. What is it that you care about? How can you be provoked? And when you're provoked in that moment, can you grow? Yeah. And in that moment, I begin to grow. And 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 for me, it 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 shifted my thinking on how we can do everything within our ability between a certain time period in room three zero nine, and we can have a lot of fun doing it. Mm -hmm. And we had those moments, but I recognize that. My students, like her perspective, and I don't believe every child felt that yeah, way, right? Mad. So I shouldn't like characterize. Now she did have an amen corner. I mean, there were students who said, "You're right," yeah. um, and but there we deserve every, bad teachers, you know, yeah. right? You know, I mean, they've had a series of bad circumstances, right? And life had been difficult for them. And this particular group of students had a real bad run when they were in fifth grade. Their teacher got sick. So they lost an entire year. They had a sub. Mm. When they were in sixth grade, they were a little bit unmanageable. So they had a retiring person who was not equipped Ooh. to teach that particular grade level. Yeah. And then the next year in seventh grade, they get me as a first year teacher. Right. right? So this is these are some rough circumstances. But but what became very clear to me though was that the consciousness of that particular student and her classmates saw that their life was filled with a set of political problems right. and that there was no solution to it. And even if a solution shows up, it's too good to be true and we don't deserve it. And so for me, it was like, how do we, how do I use my role as a classroom teacher to highlight these political problems that have like festered inside of a, another generation right. to come up with solutions so that they can begin to see beyond whatever it is that they're sort of captured by that, yeah. that tends to be, you know, like this perpetuation of marginalization, you know, where like they're, they're trapped in a space that just does not provide them with room of escape or, yeah. or, or breaking away from those circumstances. So it's like, how do you acknowledge that these things exist in a way that goes like, you're not crazy for thinking this mm -hmm. feeling like that is reflected in the reality of your world and in yeah. the decisions mm -hmm. that have been made. So like validating that, but then that's not right. <laughs> yeah. Like yep. how do you then use that acknowledgement yep. Yep. as a catalyst to try to push people to, to change things? That's right. 
No, that's right. And so now that imagination has come full circle where, you know, I'll just fast forward to like where I am now. Um, you know, I, I can, we can take a step back and, you know, my role at the CTU and, you know, I eventually, you know, stopped teaching middle school. I taught high school for a year on the West side where I live at Westinghouse college prep. I taught there and, you know, 2011, um, a buddy that I grew up with who was a student of Karen Lewis at Lane Tech. Mm-hmm. I have known him for, for forever. And he mentioned that, look, our, our local wants to go in a different direction. And I think you should consider coming out of the classroom and doing some organizing, just your political work, your conviction around education, the rights of workers, like this would be a good fit. Long story short, I was not interested at the time because, you know, I, I was teaching near my home. Yeah. I'm just going to be honest with you. And it was a good fit for me. Yeah. Um, and but my students pushed me. You know, mm. I was a part of like mm. the political sort of space at my high school, um, Mikva Challenge. I don't know if we can give them a plug on this, but uh, Mikva Challenge was, was was we have no qualms. Okay, they <laughs> did qualms. some good work, and so I was, you know, sort of the, the the lead teacher in that space. And you know, my students got involved politically. We did, you know, you know the typical work, mm-hmm. Springfield City Council, and looking at candidates and working on campaigns, et cetera, et cetera. And my students say, "Listen, Mr. Johnson, this opportunity for you to leave the class." and work for the CTU and and really help lift up like mm-hmm. and expose the disparities that exist not just in schools but our school communities like you tell us every single day about what our responsibilities are to our community now you're being called to do it you need to go Mr. Johnson mm-hmm. what percentage of that was them thinking we just really want to sub <laughs> <laughs> exactly and i would say 78% of it was really about not having me as a teacher when they got to their junior year uh but the rest of it was pretty much saying hey, yeah. this is a pretty decent dude uh why not and you know worst case scenario he comes back when we're seniors and so that work of organizing all over the city um, pushing for you know education justice, like pushing for better school communities, a good contract that would serve the interests of our neighborhoods. And the long story short, it became very clear that in order for us to improve education and to improve our communities, we have to see, um, as you said, acknowledge the fact that these problems are real and you have to put forth solutions that can actually solve that. Yeah. And unfortunately, the political structure as it is now we can continue to push. I think we should continue to push those of us who believe in organizing and our commitment to social, racial, economic justice. Sometimes we have to bust a door down or two. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to run for Cook County Commissioner in the first district. Um, and, I, you know, I can't really tell you like what sort of provoked all of that, you know, outside of just my own personal experience growing up in a working class family. Um you know, seeing and living through the conditions in which yeah. our people experience every single day. My wife and I were raising our kids in Austin on the west side of Chicago. Where'd you grow up? By the way? So I actually grew up in Elgin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, a working class, yeah. you know, That's community. Yeah. And, um, you know, went to the public school there. Uh, my father is just a, a pretty, pretty typical story of black folks, you know, coming to the north. My grandmother went to 79th and Ashland. Mm-hmm. My father was like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Decided to go west and just kept going. Uh, and so, you know, he always, you know, gives me a hard time because, you know, we would spend time on the south side uh, primarily. Some time on the west side with family 
And, um, you know, my father's like, look, you know, we raised you, you know, here and clearly your heart is still there. Um, And so, um, you know, I just took that life experience, man, of you know, just seeing the day-to-day routine mm-hmm. of like, how do we have a little better, right? Mm-hmm. My father, man, it was 10 of us, station wagon, no seat belts, of course. Mm-hmm. We hope for Dairy Queen every so often. You, we, I mean, you, you got a dream. I mean, listen, <laughs> and here what the dream was amazing. Like we thought, I'll never forget, man, We now you got me really having these flashbacks. Yeah, like you know, this therapy is really going well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, what my father would, you know, pull up to, to Dairy Queen, you know, it was 10 of us packed in the station yeah. wagon. And we all just believe that what, every time he pulled up, this would be the day he would come out with 10 Sundays, mm-hmm. right? Like as if like Sundays was something he can afford for all 10 of his children. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, back then, now He's you have cones at this point. <laughs> basically, right? So he would come up with the dilly bar, right? 99 cents. As long as I got the red one, life would be okay. But for me, it was like my father worked every single day so he can buy his children an ice cream cone. My life is a little bit better. Because I can now afford blizzards, you know, for my children. But there are people in forces. That joint upside down. You know what I'm saying, right? No, it's, it's, it's <laughs> we real, right? But you know, but so now that life is a little bit better for me. You actually have political forces that have like animosity towards me because I have a W two, right. right? And so, like a brother, like actually had to go to school, borrow some money, figure out what a comma splice is, to, to actually make a decent enough living where I can actually serve and give to my, you know, to my community and raise my family. And the political structure now is about closing, cutting, laying people off, disinvesting all the while, like the wealthiest folks, these huge corporations continue to turn profit off of the misery that they create from privatization of schools, privatization of, of, um, of prisons uh, to police brutality. I mean, we can go on and on about the conditions. And so I said, look, classroom teacher, Raise my family on the west side of Chicago, organizer, the Cook County government in and of itself, because I know that's what you want to, you know, folks to understand, has the purview over health and hospitals, yeah. public safety with the county jails. I mean, you have folks who were literally shutting down like major arteries within, you know, Chicago for a trauma center, right? Like there was, there was real organizing around like how do we improve like healthcare services? There was real organizing around how we, how do we actually protect public education yeah. where you had hunger strikers? And I'm like, like, wouldn't it be nice if we just had one elected official where like you didn't have to lobby them for like a library, you know, right. or like, you know, like very like. And even if they then had to do the lobbying, it still means that you can that the people instead of having to do all that lobbying and you focus on other stuff and you can do the lobbying. Exactly. A lot of protests you don't have to plan. You exactly. Can do right. And so like we're protesting for things that really should be like human rights. Yeah. And I said, I'm going to do it. And, you know, my wife looked at me, this was in August, um, and she said, look, you know, I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Now you got to go find 19,000 more people. Right? <laughs> and so the, the run was really about how do we push back against the corporatization of everything? Yeah. You know, you know, the Affordable Care Act. You know, which we're seeing like it's being challenged and threatened all, you know, all yeah, over the country. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, you have thousands of families across just Chicago, Cook County, and Illinois that do not have access to health care. Yeah. You know, there's a hospital in, in my district, the first district. And by the way, for those of you who are who are, who are not aware, I, I did win, by the way. We're just going to cut to that. Hey, yeah, yeah. You, know, you know, and we'll talk about like how we got to that point because it was a fascinating race. It was very contentious. But there is a hospital in, in my district where 
I believe it's like 68% or so of the 63% of the families who receive care at this local hospital, it's called Loretto hospital Mm -hmm. receive care through the affordable care act. So Medicaid, so 63%, 40% of those who actually work at this hospital are my neighbors. They actually live in Austin. Mm. So when we talk about quality of life for folks and why I decided to run, like healthcare for me is just a very personal issue that if we're not providing like basic healthcare for families, not only are we disrupting like the, the likelihood of them actually having a meaningful, healthy life, we're also undermining the economic base within the community because it actually also hires folks. I grew up with asthma. I used the Fantas Clinic at the county hospital. Yeah. I stood on those lines, you know, waiting for three hours to see a doctor. You have to come back two days later to get my inhaler, yeah. especially the time in which my father lost his job. You know, and so like these were yeah. like motivating factors that that provoked me into running. And so to go to the macro for a second, which I don't know if we can go any more macro, but I'm going to give it a shot. We talk about Grace Lee Boggs a lot up here and we talk, she, she talks in her book about like the arc from the New Deal to 1970 of being this unprecedented growth of the public, right? So there was public investment in everything from hospitals to roads to schools to art, everything, including the military. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the idea of these things being the public and being more invested in over that time. Now we're, so that's about 40 years. The last 40 years. Now we're 40 years from then of the dismantling of those structures. So all these things feel so acute now because like this is the end game of those 40 years of trying to dismantle those things. Right. And so it's this like pivot point of if, you know, a large percentage of the political energy on a national on a regional scale has been about destroying, they're becoming very effective at it, but they still don't, they don't have any other ideas like other than corporatization and privatization of it, which doesn't serve the needs of people. Right. But, but understanding like where we fall in that arc is a really important piece of it, I think, because you mentioned like the ACA, but that is in, you know, the context of you having to stand in line, you know, like that we have to like understand that building and that destroying and understanding like why things feel so fragile and so acute right now. No, that's a very, that's very precise way to put it. I mean, you probably would have been a great middle school teacher um, if you could just handle the other stuff, you know, but (laughs) look, during the great depression, when unemployment was 30%, for white men, our country called it a national crisis. Mm -hmm. And they basically begin to give white men shovels before there was stuff to dig. To your point, there was massive investment in the public. Mm -hmm. So it was housing, jobs, you know, access to healthcare. You know, again, you know, as a social studies teacher, post-reconstruction, black folks, it was very clear. It was housing, medicine, jobs, transportation, education. education, right? Like this hasn't it's changed. been the same joint. Exactly, right? <laughs> and so now, like to your, to what you said earlier, this attack, because as the public good begin to expand for black, brown, working class families, but particularly black families, yeah. then all of a sudden you started to hear things like, you know, maybe the government is too big. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so now you saw this neoliberal push you know, this very, you know, alt-right push to, quote, right-size the government. Right. We have to have efficiencies, uh, you know, because we got to have more transparency. Like, these are all code. I believe it's all coded through a racist structure mm-hmm. that does not want to protect the interest of, of, of 
black families in particular, but if we make that broad, expand that broadly, working class families, that's black, white. You see that the teacher strikes that are breaking out in Oklahoma, Arizona's pending, West Virginia, West Virginia. I mean, go on and on because folks are feeling, um, the crash of that. And so that's what provoked the run. The, the guy that was in the seat was a corporate lobbyist, though he was an African American. Um, took a very neoliberal, very conservative approach towards very, very governance, based, very much establishment. Yeah. And, you know, and for me, it was like, you know, in a district like the first district, which encompasses Austin, you know, East West Garfield, some West Humboldt, where you get the Western suburbs like Maywood, Bellwood, Broadview, yeah. Forest Park, you know, we, we get all of Oak Park. It's a microcosm of Illinois. Right. So you have some of the wealthiest families who live in the district, but you have, you know, neighborhoods that have been described as developing countries right. because of the violence and poverty per capita looks like a developing nation. And so I said, look, the only way we'll know I should say the only way. One of the ways in which we'll know the effectiveness of our organizing is if this can translate on some level electorally. There are moments in which our organizing pushes folks to do the right thing, whether they want to do it or not. They just do it because it's politically expedient. But what if we actually lifted up a message that people deserve access to services, to all those public accommodations? What if we also said that the people who do the work should be protected? And let's take it one step further. What if we actually said that rich people should pay for it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what if we actually ran on that, right? Crazy talk. You know, exactly, right? And so you have these huge corporations yeah. that just received another tax break, but a tax break from Donald Trump, right. where they're experiencing, like, you know, like their greatest margin of yeah. wealth accumulation that they've seen in, in a generation, where their the corporations are making so much money now, they're buying their own stock. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, there's, there's greedy and then there's avarice, right? Yeah. Where like, like you want to consume even the crumbs that fall from the table. Yeah. And so I said, look, a black man on the west side of Chicago, we're going to run on a message of expanding public accommodations, protecting the rights of workers and demanding those at the very top pay their fair share. Let's just go for it. Let's not tippy toe around this. Yeah. Let's not, you know, have this vague presentation of what your ideas are. You know how politicians do it. They don't offer any specifics. They just say, once I'm elected, I have a 10 point plan yeah. and I'm going to release it once I'm sworn in. Yeah. I said, let's go for it. Let's just say it out loud. Let's take that political risk. And we won by 434 votes, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. you know, and, 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 and the, the county government is in a really unique position because the county, Cook County is like the second largest county in the entire country yeah. mm-hmm. it's a five almost five and a half billion dollar budget you know maybe six billion dollars you know if, if cook county if we were a state we would be the 19th largest state mm-hmm. in america right mm-hmm. yeah. you know and it, cook county sits inside well, coming for you delaware right you know but it's like um like how do we in a state like Illinois, which is like one of the largest economies and the richest country in the world, that we can guarantee health care, at least for seniors and 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 young people, you yeah. know, and children. And I said, look, let's run on it. Let's let's say we're going to expand health care. Yeah. We're going to protect the rights of workers. We're going to demand that these big corporations like Amazon, they're asking for a tax break. Yes. The richest wow. man on the planet wants a tax break, yeah. while black women in particular had to beg for their jobs on the county floor as nurses, yeah. social workers. Yeah. Real quick, and then I want to dig into it. Do you think you would have run if Trump hadn't won? 
It's a good question. I do believe I would have run if Trump had not, had not won. However, I'm not necessarily sure that the excitement to turn out would have been as great, hmm. particularly in the suburban part of the district. Ah. Uh. Mm-hmm. Shout out to the liberal guilt. <laughs> <laughs> so, so one, I mean, you know, congratulations is in order because that, that is um, admirable and, and powerful and historic in some ways. And, and this is important, especially uh, I think where Cook County stands in the country in terms of not only the direct impact, but the spillover it can have like on a social consciousness level and, and, and setting some precedent. Um, but, you know, our, this conversation has been really dynamic because you're you're really situated in an interesting crossroads of like the themes that have emerged from this show um so really like without over talking about it all the time the show is about the neoliberal divestment Mm. from the public and how that has created or 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 made space uh for like two things one young people who were underserved by public education having to find alternative spaces um especially to like create on a cultural level and that being like where this like aka renaissance has spawned from is like creating these other spaces outside of the school as we know it Um, but then also you know chicago being particularly situated in terms of organizing and resistance and progressive politics that also stems from this divestment and this force and really you know you know when we talk about like me and my contemporaries as like the young activists or the young protesters even though i was not part of this fight a lot of it stems back to ctu right Mm -hmm. and like especially as we see now like whole states are going on strike the chicago teachers union on a city level uh really being like a, 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 a um, I don't know the like, like the best adjectives a catalyst, a catalyst almost like a, a light on the hill of what it looks like mm-hmm. to fight uh, against this this divestment that is happening and that disproportionately hurts uh, black people and people of color um, and so with that you know we kind of dismiss the public space and like the spaces that you were like f- head on in like I, I'm gonna wrestle with CPS I'm now about to wrestle with this Cook County board in that where has beauty emerged, right? Because I think we kind of have just like given it up. Not given, I mean, we're still fighting, but we've kind of given it up as a place that is our own. Mm-hmm. Have you seen anything outside of yourself? Because I think you are an example of that, uh, where where that type of emergence that you we've seen, in, <laughs> that type of emergence <laughs> we're seeing in these alternative, like having to take the streets yeah. or having to create a after school program because the school doesn't have it itself. Yeah. Where, where inside the spaces do you see the potential for, where I've seen examples of the beauty that we need to sustain life. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I appreciate, you know, the way you all are actually framing this conversation because honestly, because I'm so far into it, you don't get to take a step back and, you know, kind of analyze and and think about the type of questions that you all are asking. Um, it's great inquiry. Um, you know, for, for me, I think the beauty in it is you know, when you do not necessarily have to go on strike in order to provoke resistance. And, you know, what, what I am, you know, finding to be just, you know, just, it's very humbling to, to know that we've influenced other spaces where people have found their voice. Like, that's why I became a teacher. Right. Right. And so, like, to, to, to think that as a classroom teacher, the hope is that you provoke and you spark something inside that room and you can find beauty in that because, you know, one of your students decide that they want to be a teacher Mm -hmm. or they decide to pursue whatever their gifts are, whether it's art or, um, you know, uh, law or whatever it is. And and I, I, what I'm like excited about is you have 
black, brown, white, like folks from across this city and really across the country that are, are, that are no longer afraid to just, you know, to, to, to express not just their disdain for the disinvestment, but their hope. Like there's actually vision being placed out in front where now we actually have to debate. The issue. Well, right. before you know, to 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 what you, how, how you frame the question that we can all talk about. We can all have town hall meetings about how bad it is, mm-hmm. right? We're gonna have a town hall meeting about the violence on the west side of Chicago. We're gonna have a town hall meeting about the lack of health care. It's something special when you're having town hall meetings about how we can actually generate revenue and tax those who have the ability to pay. And we're going to put forth a millionaire's tax, a financial transaction tax. We're going to look at expanding, you know, Medicare. You know, we're going to demand that there's a trauma center. You know, and, and so like the beauty that I'm finding is that there are folks who are finding their voice who would have otherwise missed like, like like this moment, because maybe life was a little comfortable or maybe they were just afraid. You know, when you have white parents on the north side of Chicago marching down Irving Park, like like people will talk about Cottage Grove. You know, if a, if a protest happens on Madison, folks are like, oh, well, it's Madison. That's the west side. Yeah, yeah. You know, when a protest happens on Irving Park Road, yeah. it's like, wow, you don't, you don't upset the white folks on the northwest <laughs> yeah, side of Chicago. That usually means a new Lululemon store open. <laughs> Shout out to Lululemon. There are sponsors for this event that we're doing it's a great, great, great transition. <laughs> you know, so so that's the beauty that people are finding their voices and we're connecting with one another, man. I mean, I think the work that we've done together, you know, offline with R3, mm-hmm. you know, when you have, you know, Muslims, the LGBTQ community, you have labor, um, you have like all these different, you know, groups that have deep conviction around not just the things that they believe in, but this larger fight for social justice, economic mm-hmm. justice, racial justice, that people are finding their voices and we're finding our connection. Mm-hmm. You know, Dr. King said it best. He said, if the civil rights Who? movement, no. Dr. King, <laughs> right, that brother, right? Because, you know, you, look, if you don't have a radio program that says Dr. King at least once, <laughs> you know, you're talking about social justice. Then you're owned by Viacom. <laughs> I mean, like, even Republicans will say, you know, he was the greatest man of all time uh, and we're glad he's gone, right? But, <laughs> but, but Dr. King said it best. He said, you know, if the civil rights movement and the labor movement were to ever collide, and I'm paraphrasing, um, what enormous potential. And so, you know, for me, as you said, I'm glad you said it this way, you're wrestling with the system. Mm -hmm. Because the irony in all of this, we're we're saying the system is responsible, but we're also saying the system is the best shot at us fixing it. Mm -hmm. Like, I I get it's almost a contradiction. So, like, I'm fighting to improve public accommodations, even those who are executing the harm control the public accommodations. And so the beauty in that is that we can critique the system and even see the irony here, uh, but also demand that the system actually responds appropriately and And responsibly. Some of where that irony, like, why that exists, I think is because, to our point about divestment before, like, the state was the implement of creating these systems of harm, right? And then there was enough power gained within the state that those, some of those were mitigated. And so the people who were in the structures that were committing the harm said, oh, this is getting taken from our control. So we need to create an alternative system to maintain this power dynamic. So that's the corporatization and the privatization. And now the state is this weird, like, in-between space of, like, both sides kind of using it. But both sides are kind of saying, like, we don't really want it. <laughs> you know, like, we're we're... we're you want a state. We don't want this state. Mm-hmm. And neither side really want. They're just we're now like fighting to your point about what are we trying to create 
for like alternative visions of what we're trying to make out of it mm. as opposed to for the scrap like how do we keep this piece of a thing that we were saying was flawed and harmful to, to uh, us in the first place yeah so um we have a game that we're trying to get to but i have one question that like is really important and i thought we were going to take up most of the time but I, i'm intrigued in asking it in like a short answer format and hopefully we, we can still get to our game um so we, we talk a lot about like oppositional politics and we're really good at like critiquing those who we see as harming us or who have power or who have like you know we're diametrically opposed to uh and you mentioned like the, the way that we've been able to collaborate or work together through our three which is the resist rebuild uh reimagine coalition that is a bunch of organizations throughout the city i'll start with like as young like black radicals that i'm kind of like in cohorts with i think we need to do a better job of one cooperating with people who do not have like the really advanced new intersectional ideas that like we embody because it's like you know <laughs> you know it's, it's new for a lot of people and it's jarring you're being uh, very polite yeah 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 and secondly i think we, we need to do a better job of how we treat each other in relationship to our own abolitionist politic. If we're trying to get rid of punishment and violence, the way we respond to the harms that we feel amongst each other uh, needs to do better. So that was me like modeling the question I'm about to ask. So I, I'm yeah. not trying to put you on the hot seat, uh, but from the inside, because we do so much work supporting educators and like, see, what, what are some of the things that you f can feel comfortable publicly saying we can work on this, we can grow on this, this needs to be transformed on the internal. No, look, you, you, I think the way you set this up, I think it was perfect as, as a labor group, as a union. I mean, we are the larger group in the coalition. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I've seen how larger groups dominate and that's, that's not the type of structure that, 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 is going to make for a real dynamic coalition. So I, I believe what we have to do, um, those of us in labor is one, um, seed some power to be perfectly frank. I mean, I know that's, that's tough for some folks to see it that way, but for me, like I value the push. As I said before, when you ask like, what is leadership leadership to me is like being willing to accept places that you have to grow and get better. Um, and, and, you know, I think that there are, you know, younger organizers who have, I, I believe, a just very dynamic view of the world. You know, even when it makes me a little bit uncomfortable, it does challenge me a little bit because look, like I said, I have a 10, five and three year old. They're more likely to see the world through your lens than mine. Mm. Um, if I have anything to do with it, of course, I want them to see the world. <laughs> see the world. Just, from a, just from a numbers perspective. <laughs> exactly. Right. You know, so what we have to do better um, at, you know, providing like that space where we're okay with, you know, a, 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 a more dynamic view um, to take um, more room um, in the space. Word. That's real. So for the sake of time, I'm just going to put you in the hot seat. We didn't warn you. No warning. No precursor. We yes, the give clubs up. will win another World Series. <laughs> <Next>. <laughs> no. You have to start beef with an R&B singer. You want to explain oh. why? Nope, we don't got time to. You're oh. just on the hot seat. R&B beef. This is what we do every week. So does it have to be current? No, any era. Okay. That's part of the precursor okay. I missed. Uh, Keith Sweat. Yeah, I am for it. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Keith for... Sweat is annoying, <laughs> he is and, annoying. and he's terrible in his... <laughs> sound and tune is just inappropriate <laughs> and i do not know how babies were made during that era <laughs> through his music and if babies were created during that music it might explain some of the things Why that we i got saw these babies. in my middle school 
<laughs> that's, that is love. Um, so we gotta get out of here with Ergo Radio. Do you uh, are you like doing social media? Is there a place you want? Yeah, people of course, to man. You? Check me out on Facebook. Check me out on Twitter. Uh, Twitter is at Brandon for Cook. That'll change eventually once I'm officially sworn in. And of course, you can go to my Facebook page, uh, Brandon Johnson for Cook County. Check me out there. Very much love. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's thank you guys. You guys are great. Thank you. Well, thank you. Well, well, I'll take, I like where this is going. <laughs> we'll be back next week with another conversation showcasing and celebrating Chicago and beyond. Much love to the people. Peace. Sweet West Side Chicago, two flat apartment, red brick and garden that's been forgotten. Grass all splotchy, vacant lot splotchy, bank account splotchy. And we talk like we from the South. Our parents' parents from the South And if I make a million dollars I'll vacation in the South And I'll Smile 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 Playground, grandma, payroll cut, yeah Cut up with my cousins, dream about when we grow up, yeah Two sides slipping off our feet, our souls is hella black When we die, we go to heaven, no, my granny taught me that